Welcome to Supercharged, the Change and Comms podcast. And this week, we're delighted to be joined by Julia, a creative full of energy and a Change and Comms specialist, currently providing our expertise at the University of Southampton and previously at well-recognised brands such as EasyJet and Volkswagen. Welcome, Julia. It's great to see you. Um, I've touched upon a bit of your background there, but perhaps you could do a better job of introducing yourself. <laughs> Morning. Yeah. So, yep. My name is Julia. Don't be confused by my accent. I'm Scottish, but I've lived in Milton Keynes for about 20 odd years. So I've done the rounds of local companies in Milton Keynes, um, Volkswagen Financial Services, EasyJet, currently working remotely at Southampton. So, yeah, as you said, my um, my kind of bag is is the communication side and making sure that, you know, users are bought into the change by using all sorts of creative ways of getting them engaged and talking to them and understanding their needs and wants and what's the problems and all of that stuff. Hi, Julia. So today we want to talk about resistance. Is it important to care about resistance? Is it something we should worry about when managing change? Oh, um, yeah, I definitely think you should care about it. Um, I think that in some ways um, it's it's a risk to adoption. If you, if well, if you try and basically at one end of the scale, if you try to implement a change that no one's happy about, um, and it's all a bit, there's a bit in there as well about change fatigue. If nothing else is happening in the world and you're implementing a change, it's less important, I guess, that there's resistance because you you, know, you can fix it in other ways and there's nothing else happening. But if you build change upon change and upon change upon change, which has happened since COVID, um, at some point people are just going to go, nah, I'm just not doing it. I'm going to, this has tipped me over the edge. So absolutely you should care. Whether you should do something about it and what you should do about it is a separate question. But yes, we absolutely should care about resistance. What are your kind of early warning signals that resistance is important to manage? So when it comes to resistance, I think that I call it like Pokemon. Um, like if there's rustling in the bushes and there's rustling over here, then I think you need to go and investigate and see which Pokemon is in the bushes um, and what sort of resistance shaped Pokemon it might be. Um, it could be a little cute funny one that's just moaning because it's just moaning, or it could be a big scary one that's quite a senior stakeholder that is actively, you know, is actively opposing and resisting the change. So, yeah, you need to know what it is so that you can do something about it. I quite like that. Pokemon yeah, thanks. Idea. Yeah, <laughs> that's cool. It does bring an image to your mind, doesn't it? I was now thinking back to some of the either um, DVCs or Pro VCs or CEOs or execs, and thinking, which Pokemon are they? <laughs> yeah. there's um there's a there's a VC at another university and who I, who I wouldn't name but he's a big Pokemon fan and he stand he used to stand outside um one of the buildings and play Pokemon with the students, which I thought was really cool. Have you ever given people their Pokemon characters? I'm going to. I'm literally going to create personas um, as Pokemon for, the, for resistance. That's such a good idea. I think that's really funny. <laughs> yeah. I've seen, I've seen um, people do top trumps for their uh, leaders before, and I've seen that go horribly wrong. And they all sit there yeah. all excited and their cards come out, and then they suddenly go, like, leadership four. And then look like Friendliness, none. <laughs> yeah. Engagement, none. <laughs> I was reading something a while back here about um, obsessing about resistance, and it made me think, actually, that it, it kind of turned me off ProSci a little bit, actually. And I've been a big advocate of ProSci over the years. Um, and I've seen it implemented well and I've seen it used well and then I've started more recently to see how it's used as a weapon um, mm. and, and, and people start obs obsessing with this resistance and it made me think actually do we obsess too much with it and you know if we do are we neglecting those who are perhaps actually willing and 
happy to run with any change. It's almost rewarding the naughty kid at school, you know what I mean? I, I think that for me, ProSci, um, ProSci is is very prescriptive. It's all about scores and stuff from what I've seen. I've never done ProSci. I haven't done it, maybe. Maybe I should, I don't know. Um, and I think that for me, it's more about building a coalition for change and getting the people on board that are pro-change because you're never going to, as a change manager that doesn't know every part of the business, you're never going to be able to convince those, those those stakeholders because you don't know them. It's easier to get people on board first and get all your fans on board and get them into that way of thinking and get them to try and engage with the naysayers, I think. So, yeah, so I think, I don't think we should be ever obsessed by it. I think we should be focusing on who we can bring on board rather than who we can't. Yeah, I think so too. I think if we spend too much time trying to fix the small one or two issues that occur we actually can almost delay yeah the, the best part of the process which is you know the the celebrations of a successful delivery I've, yeah. I've often, I was once told years ago we were working on a massive program um and one of our biggest flagship customers well, mine I was comes and change but the, the organization's biggest customers um and it was a loss leading customer funny enough, they didn't really make a huge amount of profit for the mm. organization but they always said that the best change you could deliver is the one that we don't see and i and it stuck with me that same for such a long time because mm. i often thought though, that if your resistors are, are are small but loud they mm. can be drowned out by you know the good and the proud and I, mm. I, that's a really interesting way to think of things and i keep seeing all these things come back up through linkedin and, and other channels saying you know resistance is where we have to really kind of focus our time and get these people through but mm. perhaps there's other ways i mean what, what do you do and how do you go about kind of you know dealing with the resistors um but not making too much of a song and dance about it i used to tell you what i used to do panic about it and i'm like oh my god there's one professor over there that just refuses to use the system oh my god it's terrible my change is terrible it's not working and then I grew up and I realised that actually it's inevitable. There's going to be somebody somewhere that's just going to be a bit of a twat about change because they just don't want change to happen. I think the, the focus is on being clear about, I think the, I think it starts off with being absolutely clear about your proposition, right? What's changing? What isn't changing? Why it's changing? It all starts from that. You need to be clear about that because sometimes people's People are resistant because they don't understand or they're misaligned or they've been told something wrong by their line manager or their head of unit or whoever it is. So clarity on your messaging and clarity about the, the scope of the change is really important. The second thing that I would do is, again, as I said, build this coalition for change. I know that sounds like some sort of buzzword, but I can't think of anything else to call it. But it's about getting your troops there and it's about working out who well basically looking at areas of the business or individuals that are not happy and then when it comes to those individuals I think there's a bit there about talking to them and saying what's wrong and it doesn't need to be the change manager that does it because they don't know me they're not going to open up to somebody that's a contractor that they've never seen before so maybe there's always a good idea to kind of broker that conversation with somebody that works well with them and just get them to open up about why what's wrong why do they not want change why are they resistant and sometimes they'll say I don't understand I need more training I'm, a, I'm overloaded with change and lots of these things can be fixed I think very few times you're going to get people that are just resistant to change because they just don't want change and that's important but that's not the whole picture what do you do when you when you agree with their reasons for resisting it 
do you know what this has actually happened to me where it you know that I have spoken to people and they and they've said to me do you know what you know we're, we're overloaded with new systems we're academics and you know part of the university is very much about let's call it transformational and I don't really like the word transformation but moving things into a kind of more self-service environment where they are where they've been expected to use systems rather than use admin people to do it and they, their argument is, you know, we, we're paid to teach, we're paid to do research, not use systems. And I, and I think, well, the world is moving. So I agree with that. But then I also understand change fatigue. And I un also understand that there's only so much that people can do before they go, I'm out of here. And I agree with them on that front is that there's a lot of change hitting them in a very short space of time while they're trying to do their bread and butter. So it's hard. Um, but I think that sympathy and empathy helps. But I think there's also a bit there where it says, do you know what, let me try and help you through it. How can I make it easy for you? Because with the best will in the world, this change is coming, whether you like it or not. But my job isn't to stop the change because of people not liking it. My job is to try and get you into a position where it's as, it's, it's, it's as comfortable for you as possible. I'm not saying it's going to be comfortable, but I'm saying that I want to try and make it as easy as I can for you. I will absolutely take your concerns back and I will absolutely take these to the board and tell them what the resistance is. But for the time being, what can I do to help you? It's the worst position to be in as yep. a change manager, I think, when when you're the one in the room and you're the yep. one like, hang on, I, I resist this. With a hundred um, ac angry academics, it's it's horrible and it's yes. not your change. And, and they, they, they don't understand how projects and programmes work and they don't understand that you didn't make this change up. You're just there. Yeah. It's a bit like ringing a call centre and shouting at them because, you're, I don't know, your sofa hasn't arrived. It's not my fault. I'm just here to try and help you. And when they don't understand how it works, they just want to shout at the person that's there. So it's horrible, yeah. but, you know, it happens. I was just looking, well, not just, but over the course of the preparation for this, uh, your uh, your background as well. And I noticed on one of the roles, and I can't remember exactly which one it was, but you did a, a culture change piece. And yeah. um, when uh, I first started out, and I want to come back to that point as well, not about me, but actually what we could say to those who are just starting out. But when I was, I was I had a couple of great, uh, great mentors, very experienced change and comms people. And they said to me, Christopher, when it's time for you to break away from your fixed employment and you're going to go off and do your own thing, stay away from culture change. And, um, and I thought that was a really interesting thing. And uh, you know, funnily enough, you can't because pretty much anything you do will form some kind of change of OD, which in its own changes this culture of different things and ways of working. Yeah. But um, keeping on that theme of resistance and culture change and so at, at the, the organization where you were leading that change for culture did you see much resistance to a culture change or do you think it just happens yes there's resistance to it because people go oh I've got enough on my plate I don't want to have to start learning about this as well and I and I already do it and oh, I don't want things to change and we already do it my mama so the resistance in that way where people think that they know it. And I think that there's, I think people, I think, pe I think organisations go, right, we want to change the culture about X. And then you'll say to them, actually, you can't change the culture without changing some of the organisational bits. 
So is it linked to reward? Is it linked to the other side, the horrible, horrible side of disciplinaries? Which processes are you changing? How are you changing the kind of like the, the core bits of the organisation? And then they get scared because they don't want to have to do that because they think that culture change is like simply just telling people how to behave and giving them a bit of training. So it's the, the, the hardest bit about culture change is not trying to get people to change, it's trying to get the organisation to understand that bits of the organisation need to change to adapt to uh, support this cultural change. Yeah, because it's often that thought, it's not my area that needs to change, our area is all right. Is yeah, we, we're doing it. it, go and talk to them, go and talk to people over there. And actually, you and without and the thing is with cultural changes, it's hard to measure, so it's hard to defend. So you, yes. So they, they, they'll say, well, well, show me where it's gone wrong. And I'm like, well, I can't. But what we're trying to do is just get everybody to move to a new way of working. But yeah, it's it's difficult. Yeah, for sure. It's the word change that causes the problem with that. Oh, one, people freak out. Yeah, yeah, because because the cultural change isn't really, you're not changing bacteria in a Petri dish, you know, you know that, that would be a change. But in terms yeah. of this, it's, it is just a move to a different way of working or a, a, a way to which we approach something as opposed yeah. to even the way we were. But yeah. as soon as they put the words culture and change in there, everyone thinks that's it. Coffee's no longer free. You know, fruit yeah. on Fridays is gone. We can't work from it. And it's like, that's not really what we're talking about. But it just yeah. brings out that thought process you know, yeah and I think massively negative and it actually and similarly more. transformation like that freaks people out because I was reading I think I was reading a LinkedIn post yesterday I can't remember who it was by and um or, or it was actually a book that I was reading recently and we, we she talked about transformation and actually when you say transformation it just freaks people out and yeah. sometimes only that much is transformation everything else is just bloody big change and people love to say transformation because they think it is and actually it's it's such a turn off for people because it, it just makes people go no no I want to leave I don't know what I'm doing how much of a and, project is transformational is tiny often though isn't it a lot of it yeah. is just run it's run change it's stuff that the organization yeah. is doing anyway just being updated it's just an evolution yeah. to a process or, or yeah an update people to a system. yeah and it's not transformation transformation is like I don't know when Doctor Who turns from I don't know. I don't know. David Tennant into whoever the new Doctor Who is. I don't watch it. But, you know, I mean, that's a transformation. Everything else. I've got is... so many good social media posts from this one. This is going to be the easiest <laughs> I've got Pokemon. I've got Doctor Who. I've, I've got Rid of Warning Naughty Children. I've got. Yeah. I, I, lo I love to think. I love to, like, try and think in metaphors that mean things to people. That's how I try and bring things to life. Um, and that's how my brain works. <laughs> I can't get out. There was an episode, the last episode I think we did, we were talking about using what tanks on the lawn as a metaphor. And and I don't know. I can't. That's been stuck in my head. That's ever when the culture really needs to change. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not a good thing. <laughs> what book have you been reading? Um, it's called, it's by Susie Palmer True. And I think it's called, the. it's downstairs. It's a rainbow coloured book and it's called I know it's got swearing in it. it I know. <laughs> it, 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 change doesn't have to be that word. And it's so good. And Susie, uh, Susie has mentored me before and she's she's amazing. Um, and her book is is so easy to read. There's nothing like someone says, read a book about change. And it's really like, I don't know, academic. I'm just like, oh, I can't be bothered. I'll just go and watch a YouTube video. But her book is super easy to read. And she's right that transformation is that. And change, no matter how big or small it is, is 98% of 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 change 
we'll pop a, a link onto the, the yeah the it's amazing anyone that hasn't read it it's so good. Yeah. i'm reading something at the moment i'm reading michael heffel's the edge have you ever seen or anything by michael heffel no is it got no. small writing in it and is it academic because i probably won't read it well no, i mean this is i don't think this is well, definitely not got pictures edition. in it yeah, oh, it's, it's got. I'm good. It's got pictures in. That's fine. He's um, he's really cool. I've had a few of his. I've often given out different versions of his book. It's not so much based about change, but about the way that we we deal with things or approach mm. things. And this one's basically about um being the best you can be by working right up to the edge but i yeah. i love one of his i read was uh, called five star service on a one star budget and that's always how i've had to deal with comms really i've never been in one of those places where i've ever had the five star budget to be able to deliver the any budget everybody yeah. Wants. yeah right yeah. um or how it's i think one of his more famous ones was how to be brilliant and it just kind of just talks for, it's just really interesting i think mean, they're really good books to read i'll stick a link to them out one day Perfect. That um, good. but these are all good fun things to read aren't they and uh, yeah. like you say as long as it's not uh, one of these that uh, here we go one of these ones you know oh, that, that <laughs> yeah. is a much more interesting book that's chris has just got reading. the uh, a, a nice chunky textbook out yeah, um, that's a really heavy, heavy. Re Sorry, yeah, I forget that we're not on video for this. Are we? That's, that's a okay. really, really heavy read. That one, good chunky textbook. Yeah. Anyway, um, Pete, back to you. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering, Julia, if um, I, I can't put you on the spot, but if you've got any certain tricks you've got um, that you've used before and have just managed to win people around, especially when you're in that like coalition building phase. Painting pictures of change. I love. Um, I love um, PowerPoint and there's a great woman, I don't want to, it feels like I'm, it feels like I'm the Wizard of Oz giving away all my tricks, but there's a woman in Australia, she calls Sharon Connolly and she does Change Superhero, if you've ever heard of her. She's got an amazing set of um, of PowerPoint slides and I basically just use those and use them for my own needs and change them. But if you can paint a picture for people um, using PowerPoint or an infographic or something really simple, um, it's just easier for people to digest and understand and then start to pick apart. If you just go and rat, rat, rat on a PowerPoint and a presentation and a meeting, people are just going to be like, oh, I heard this before. Add some colour into it, add some pictures into it, add a little flow chart, paint some pictures, do some personas. Suddenly people start to get it and they go, ah, okay, right, it's not that bad. And then they can, you can kind of open them up and they can start to ask questions about it. I think the worst part of change is not resistance, it's apathy actually. So I've yeah. done so many sessions with people where I've done a really great PowerPoint pack and stuff and then they just sit and go, that's fine. And then they don't ask any questions. And I'm like, are you happy? Are you sad? Do you not care? Do you not understand? Give me something that I can work with. So it's about trying to, almost like speak to their world and bring it to life a little bit is my is my top tip I think. Are you changing your style online or in person so um you know when, when you're trying to put across that big visual um stuff to get people motivated and interested um how how do you alter that because I, I think resistance is harder to spot over video calls literally sometimes when cameras yeah. are off. Yeah it's it's it is harder to do um, and I've found and it's obviously difficult if you live further away but actually going on site and just sitting with them for a day um, is the key thing because like I don't understand their world it's all very well saying right you have to do it use a new system but they're like oh I don't want to do it I want to see what's in the world and see what it's like and see how they behave and all of that stuff and what it's like and what you talk about that's easy to do 
Um, I think also if I can't do that, then I want to have one-to-one conversations with, let's call it the people on the ground, like just, and I know that's difficult because they'll go, oh, she's a change manager from IT. I'm not going to tell her anything. She might be auditing me or checking my homework or something, but it's about trying to tunnel in and get them to open up to you. And you can only really do that by being their friend and being friendly and engaging with them and being part of them. Um, But the other side of that coin is that then they look at you to do everything and they think that you are the project. And I've had that before where I've had to rein back and say, well, actually, my bit is this. It's not this. And suddenly you become a single point of failure for everybody. Your name becomes attached to everything. Oh, this still happens. I still get emails from academics for something (laughs) I did like two years ago. And I'm like, no. Pete is the one-man resolution team to MFA and cybersecurity <laughs> at the Not university. Not anymore. Cybersecurity is something that sticks to you forever after you've done yeah. that. Um, yeah. I think I'm finally through the other side of that. But those, those are good examples, right, where where the, there is apathy, right, because, oh, I don't need to do that. It doesn't really impact me. I don't need I don't need multi-factor authentication on my laptop. I never lose it. I'm never going to leave it on the train, so it's never going to be a problem three weeks later left my laptop on the train can you recover my data yeah <laughs> that's you know these are those are the, the perfect stories to paint i mean the best people to tell those are the people who've been the victims of them in some cases because yeah. the apathy will exist and and, and 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 almost grow because there's no real life example of when it's happened but when it does happen and you can you can rely on that person to tell that story for you. It's got so much more credence. On yeah, I actually, it's a good one. I, so I was, um, I was doing, um, I was doing a presentation about the cybersecurity program we were doing at Exeter. And I, I thought that the, um, the history professors would be the hardest ones to win over to the, to the point of doing this. But I, um, so we did, we had a, a big meeting with the, all of the college staff and, and it immediately, um, changed everybody's minds as soon as the the um the kind of the faculty lead said that they'd been part of an organization previously that had been hacked and this was one of the most important things to deal with and um, it, it's amazing the power of having uh that kind of voice of authority in the room on your side um and i'm always i'm always much more comfortable when you've got that and you know you've definitely got someone in the room on your team um as opposed to when you don't and I, it actually, um, I don't know, unless either of you maybe have got tricks, but um, they're not someone that you can, you can't fabricate that either, but not very easily anyway. I think um, having that kind of real world experience in someone is is quite tricky to to make up if you don't have it. I think that's where the Pokemon stuff comes into really useful though, doesn't it? When you have those personas which work and you can grab the attention with something like uh, uh pokemon or something so similar i think that's really cool last thing for me really Julie, because we try to keep this down to the time you drink a cup of tea which is really quite important it's just the average time it takes to commute to work so you find these little nuggets and you you build your, your approaches around them and that's our yep. strategy right if you were and it comes up to something i said earlier right so if if, you, if someone says to you Julia, i've seen your linkedin it's amazing it's bright it's colorful the language you use is really exciting and engages me which is all true stuff i've looked at it actually i might have to oh, thanks. mine now i need a bright pink um uh, background to my profile that's like my, my that's like my, my palette it's, <laughs> it's your brand isn't it yeah. <laughs> yeah. um what what is that piece of advice you give to someone who's perhaps now thinking about leaving the the world of corporate life and wanting to become uh, an independent what's the advice you give them 
it's not it's, this isn't the you need to do this this and this because that's that's our tricks of the trade right we're not going to go give and sell our soul but what are the things they should be thinking and considering in your opinion just I think about you need to think about who you are um, and what your core product is. You know, I sat for ages and I was like, I don't really know who I am. I don't know. And then I, I stopped trying to be somebody else. And I thought, right, what am I good at? I'm good at doing creative comms. I'm good at what do I like doing? There's no point in saying, oh, I really like doing impact assessments if you hate them or target operating models. Um, if, you, if that's your bag, that's cool. Um, but what think about what you like doing, right? What, what floats your boat? What gets you excited? I love nothing more than messing about with PowerPoint. I mean, not messing about, but do you know what I mean? Like creating stuff. And um, and then that that will make it much more comfortable for you. Um, and then it's just about being you. Like my, when I put things on LinkedIn, like there's always this temptation to be all corporate. And I'm I'm really not. I'm, I'm me. And that's my that's my brand. And I think that's the biggest thing that I can sell is, is me. And if people don't like that, that's, that's fine. I probably don't want to work with a firm of accountants anyway. But, you know, I, I feel much more comfortable being me and selling things that I'm good at. I think it's excellent advice. And I really do recommend <laughs> anyone who's listening to go and check out Julia Joyce's LinkedIn. You'll see it on our tags. But it is uh, the posts are, 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 are of great interest and they're certainly not the boring corporate type stuff. They're a lot more engaging and bright, aren't they? Yeah, between you and Susie, um, when I whenever I see your stuff on LinkedIn, it's either got bright pink or swearing in it, so it definitely stands out. Um, Life's every- too short. It really <laughs> is too short to not be fun and sweet a bit, honestly. Uh, at the moment, my, I, was, I had this realisation yesterday that my LinkedIn just seems to be loads of people posting um, AI chat-generated content, myself included, and I, and I thought... I just had this moment where I said, is anyone real? I mean, maybe everybody's bots, or if they are real, they're posting stuff written by bots. Is that the future? I don't know. Maybe I'm a bot. When we went up to, did did you go to BET? Have you ever been up to BET, the the, um, the education conference up in London? No. It's worth going. I've been a few times. It's really worth going. They've got a great HE section up there now. It's really getting Mm. bigger and better. All these plugs coming out today, I tell you. We have to start sticking some uh, advertising revenue on this, but it's worth going <laughs> up if you can. Uh, it's really cool. Yeah. Um, and um, they were. It was. I think it started off as like a primary school kind of conference for technology. Secondary then grew. Uh, further and HG then followed, and they now have their own zones in there with, you know, guest talkers from some of the latest tech companies or innovations and stuff like that. But the AI stuff up there was really quite interesting, and and how um, AI was being used in in, in teaching. And I start to think that this is going to be a really big change curve for both us and for the organisations if we've got to start trying to, you know, I don't know if convince is the word, but you've got to try and, you know, bring this academic community, even professional services community into a space where perhaps they aren't the face of the content anymore. Yeah. Do you know, it's something I've found is you, if you're... um, even if, if you're not convinced by something and you you know it's really difficult to write a piece of convincing comms sometimes if you don't quite if you haven't quite got it yourself but giving that as a as a um, kind of seed to an AI to say can you make this sound more interesting and positive um that that's where I, I see the value of it it's not like I'm sure there will be loads of low-end marketing type content that comes out and already does from AI but but the value for me is is having something there that can um, that you can work with 
you know, it, it, in the same way um, before Photoshop came out, it wasn't that nobody ever did graphic design. It just enhances what people have got or the ideas that you do have already. So, um, yeah, I, I have no idea how I've, sorry, I've taken us well off topic. I can't <laughs> Look, we'll, um, we'll, we'll wrap up, I think, because obviously we've been going some time. Uh, we're usually talking about something food related at the end. And I don't know whether we go down. We've done mashed potato. We've done biscuits. I think oh. it's got to be seasonal because we've not touched upon Christmas, has it? So are you a Christmas pudding eater? No. Right. So when the, when the devil was creating war and pestilence and all the other things, and the last day he went, I'm going to create raisins and sultanas and Christmas pudding. <laughs> <laughs> and custard. And then put it all together. And yeah. then I'm going to put it all together in some terrible abomination and make people well, eat it. A nice Christmas pudding with a bit of brandy butter. All of these things, no. No, no <laughs> not a fan. I'm going to, you can put me down as a, you can put me down as a no. I love a Christmas pudding. So what, what's, your, what's your, your Christmas pudding treat then? Uh, something chocolatey that's not got fruit in it. There's no place for raisins ever in the world, ever. Not even a mince pie? Oh, no, that, no. But they're the spawn of Christmas pudding, aren't they? Yeah, just like the devil son of Christmas pudding. Like they're all in the same terrible family. Yeah, that's hilarious. Your log is. We'll need to manage. Your log. I'm a your log fan. That's that's good. Or or a nice black forest gato. That'd be nice too. Look, thank you so much for your time. It's been really great to meet you. I think we're going to have to get you back, and I don't think we've even touched the edges of where we. Oh, I'd love to come back. So, uh, yeah. in, in the new year, we'll, we'll we'll get you back on. And particularly, one thing I'm really interested in is is stories, um, uh, stories in how we communicate, but but stories in how we behave, and perhaps we can mm. uh, we can do something on that. Definitely, I think there's something in there. Perfect. Great stuff. Uh, yeah. Listeners, follow us on LinkedIn. Follow us on instagram and on twitter and you can listen of course at supercharged change thank you very much julia it was good to meet you you. yeah lovely to meet you have a great day